Welcome to another episode of the Where's the Funding Path podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. Today, we have two guests with us, two phenomenal women who are creating access to capital for women in Africa. Welcome, Tori and Aisha. I'll turn it over to you, ladies, to introduce yourselves to the audience. Go ahead, Tori. Hi, I'm uh, Tori Abiola. I'm co-founder of Future Female Invest, um, based primarily out of Lagos, Nigeria, but working across the continent to help women get access to finance. Okay, I'm Aisha Tigali. I'm the co-founder of Future Invest. I'm based in Mauritius, and Future Females Invest exists to close the financing gap that exists for African female founders. Welcome, ladies. Welcome to the Where's the Funding podcast. Now, tell tell us a little bit more about Future Females Invest. How did the two of you get together and why did you decide to take tackle this issue? Either one can go first. Tori? (laughs) So basically, um, Aisha and I met, I think a couple of years ago now, um, through... uh, a Pan-African Women Entrepreneurship Network that I'd been part of since 2013. She was looking for a co-founder and I think our regional director for East Africa thought that I might be a good fit. So I'd been running something called Women of West Africa Entrepreneurship in Nigeria since 2013. And we had worked predominantly with female entrepreneurs in West Africa about 8,000 of them to get them access to investors and to help build capacity. Um, But I felt that WOWE, which I started in 2013, was missing something around the finance value proposition and that we needed to really go up a notch. And I also wanted a Pan-African proposition for what we were doing. So I was introduced to Aisha by one of the network, one of our East African directors as someone to speak to. And FFI, as Aisha had put it together, was very focused on access to finance and also building up women as capital allocators and investors as well. So we thought it would be great for us to merge forces and create a Pan-African organization which was, you know, focused on delivering access to finance. And it's been, a, it's been an awesome and quite intense journey from, from when we merged uh, to now. I love it. I love it when women come together and like amplify their superpowers. Um, so Aisha, tell us what it's been like, this, this new collaboration with Tori, and what's different now? as a result of the collaboration than what you were doing when you initially started? So so I had come up with yeah, Future Females Invest as a, as a proposition, as Tori said, and it was, it was that. It was a proposition, it was an idea, it was based on all the things that I had seen that needed to be changed. So having worked in the entrepreneurship field, having worked with impact investors and investors, and seeing what stops women from, or what women in terms of scaling and growing their businesses and having the impact and the innovation, the opportunity to innovate is access to capital. 
Um, there's lots and lots of fantastic mentoring and training programs. But, you know, what really makes a difference is putting money into the hands of innovators and women in particular, and African women even more in particularly. Um, um, not receiving the capital that they need, but then on one hand being given access to these really awesome mentors and training programs, but they then have this knowledge and these skills that they're not able to do anything with because they're not able to hire. They're not able to, you know, buy the stock or invest in the technology because again, this is, you know, one thing that I've seen with women is we try to do everything, right? We try to be the accountant, the lawyer, the salesperson, the marketeer, the CEO, the HR. But, you know, for a business to really, really succeed, you have to invest in those specialisms, right? And, um, you know, that's why we see these, you know, these mainly young men in Silicon Valley going out to raise at an early stage because they know that they need the capital to, to grow their business. And, you know, I feel like for women, we often, we make do and mend, right? So we make do, we do, we do what we can with a little. And as Tori often said, there's no one, there's no one more resourceful than an African woman. And Amen we to need that. to kind of stop just, <laughs> we need to just stop trying to be resourceful and ask for what we need rather than what we think we deserve, you know? Um, what we need to grow our business and be really, really confident in, yeah, okay, it's going to cost me $550,000 this year to really grow my business and take it where it needs to go. And with that money, I will do X, Y, and Z. So, um, yeah, so that's why Future Females Invest was born. And that's what we are endeavoring to do and um, is to equip women with the money that they need and also to um, enable more, more women to make the decisions about where money goes. We're not seeing enough women on boards. We're not seeing enough women um, on investment committees. We're not seeing enough women running funds. We're not seeing enough women as angel investors. We're not seeing um, enough women in senior positions at banks um, where they're making the decisions about how financing is allocated and the types of financing that is available. So, you know, this is this is what needs to change and this is why uh, Future Females Invest was born. And then the collaboration with Tori was because I knew that this is a big fight. I can't do it by myself. Um, you know, it's, you know, they say it takes a village to, to raise a child. It takes a, you know, a village, an army, you know, to change, to change the world. And then um, that's what we're trying to do. I love it when women come together to collaborate, to compete with the forces that are out there and not with each other, understanding that together mm -hmm. we are much stronger. Uh, so it seems as if you are addressing this issue from not just the access to finance perspective, but almost like an ecosystem perspective where you are looking at also women fund managers, not just connecting the women's capital, but making sure that there are women who are there as capital allocators and women who are in decision-making powers within these funds that have capital to make sure that you're addressing the issue from sort of a wraparound perspective and not just one part of the issue. And it's a similar issue that we see with 
youth investments, right? Where you get the mentorship and you get the training, but no capital. It's really hard to grow and scale a business without access to capital. So kudos to you for um, trying to address that problem in the market. So where's the funding for African women entrepreneurs? Where are you trying to unlock that funding for women? Um, I think it's really interesting what you said about we're not just focused on the access to finance, but it's an ecosystem play. Um, and it's, fundamental assist, it's fundamentally a systems change play. So we understand that the reason why women are underserved in terms of getting access to finance is not because of their lack of capacity, et cetera. It's something that's endemic in the way that the world is structured and systems are structured. So part of our strategy and what Aisha and I do very well because of our experience is we're, we're able to live in the intersections um, across all the power stakeholders where many people don't reside. What do I mean by that? Um, we're able to get buy-in from big corporate um, we're able to get buy-in from the banks and the financial services. We're able to get buy-in from um, government agencies because we, we essentially need to move the entire system to see that women are an incredibly bankable asset. And the way that we are looking at that system's intervention is to work in partnerships across all the major power stakeholders within the economy for them to recognize women. So what we understand is that apparently there is available debt to women. So whenever we speak to banks, commercial banks, corporate finance, they always tell us that there is available debt, there is working capital debt. Um, in West Africa, we have a challenge, and we've been pushing this since 2013, to get women to single-digit type loans and loans that are workable for SMEs, because SMEs are the engine of any economy, be they developed or developing. So we know that there's debt available to women, and banks are always telling us that they're very interested in engaging with women, but that women have a, a fear and this goes back to what Aisha was saying about women being resourceful, is that they have a fear around borrowing and asking for capital, et cetera, because they always want to make do. They also have an, another reason why I guess women are great assets to bank on is the risk adversity and the level of ethics and consciousness that they have when they're using people's money or people's capital, they really want to be ready. And sometimes they're over ready and overthink. We often speak to amazing entrepreneurs and businesswomen who are like, do you think I'm ready to go to investors now? And a man would never ask that. You know, I often get told by corporate finance, investment bankers that men will just, no experience, no track record, come up with a business plan and ask for $7 million like that, no problem. And don't even flinch. And don't even flinch. And one in 20, 50 times they get the money. 
So the challenge we also have is women actually asking for that money and being comfortable about asking for the money uh, because we know that they face the bias. We know that people invest and give money to people that look like them and often the other side of the table doesn't look like the woman or the proposition doesn't make sense to the other side of the table because it's linked to what's important to women in terms of community, family, feminine energy, feminine focus. So the man is like, is this even a business case? So where can the women get money? Their grants, um, there's debt, there's equity and their investors, but women don't know how to talk to these guys and talk in their language. And the other way as well, the capital that's available doesn't really know how to engage with women and actually get the fact that maybe it's not such a bad thing to be a bit risk averse when you're asking for money and that you're careful with somebody else's money. You're going to do a lot better in terms of your return. So it, go, it goes in both ways. And that's why we have that big systems play. And that's why Aisha and I do a lot around being front of mind in a lot of conferencing and a lot of thought leadership because we need to kind of change the way people think about women and capital. I agree. I have to ask Tori, like we've been hearing this rhetoric for a long time now about women lacking the confidence to ask for what they want, that debt capital is available. Women just need to ask for it and prepare themselves to ask for it in terms of the things they need to do. But the business case has been made. We've all seen the reports. It's quite clear that women are great investments, right? When you give money to a woman, she's cautious with it. She's going mm. to multiply it. She's going mm. to do great things. Why mm. are we still having this problem? Look, I want to believe like you that women don't have a problem asking for what they deserve. I want to believe like you that we are as assertive and we know what we want and that we're great. I want to believe that so much. But since 2013 to just a couple of days ago and Aisha had a call with an amazing woman. I think Aisha called her triple bottom line. You know, amazing woman, competent, professional, globally acknowledged, endorsed. Um, I don't know how many boxes this woman could tick. And she was saying to me, do you think I'm ready? Um, I was waiting, maybe I should wait till 2022 or wait a couple. And I was like, there are people that don't even have, <laughs> I sure would know the lady, you don't want to mention her, a thousand of what you yeah, have. Yeah, no, she was amazing, yeah. And I, on the, on the flip side, I had a couple of guys come in to see me. They, I don't even think they got to beta mode. I don't even think that thing was beta. I couldn't even, I was typing it. It was cumbersome. No, no, we're going to do that later. No, no, we're going to do that later. Don't worry, that's going to be ready later. And they had raised, you know, close to 100,000 USD. And they're looking for 5 million USD. <laughs> this thing was not ready. And the thing was like everything else in the market, but they were like, let's go. So I want to say, because we, we're humanists, we believe in equality. I want to say that 
thousands and thousands of years of, um, you know, really repressing women has had no effect on our psyche. But I'm sorry, it does. Because well, we see it all the time. Yeah. That's what I was going to get to. I'm like, what role does sort of social norms play in why women tend to see themselves this way and tend to play smaller and feel as if they need to become over ready to be ready when their male counterparts can just literally hatch out of the egg and they're ready to run. But as women, we feel like, am I ready? And I know, and I have to admit myself, feeling that way sometimes too, like, can I do this? Am I ready for this? And when Mm. people describe me to me, I'm like, I don't know who that is. (laughs) 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 You know, like, why do we, why do we do this to ourselves? And how are you helping women to get over that self-inflicted hurdle? And it's not really like self-inflicted. I think it's society inflicted because it's Mm. sort of been ingrained generation after generation. So how, is Future Females Invest addressing that as a part of the, because I think the the issue goes like on a continuum. So Mm -hmm. it's from what needs to be addressed on the women's side, then moving it over to what needs to be addressed in the ecosystem. So tell us a little bit more of how you're you're working that. Go ahead. I just want to add to what what Tori was saying about, um, you know, it's, how how women feel unable to maybe ask right because it's also who they're asking who they're asking for money and and the response that they get in get from those investors I mean I've been uh consulting with some some firms for a while and some things some comments that I've heard from male investors about female founders you know would really really shock you you know I've heard oh but you know yeah, she's really pretty. So when she's going to get married and have a baby, and that's going to, what's that going to do to the company, you know? Don't they know by so now that women are some of the best multitaskers? Exactly. We can have children. <laughs> we can juggle. You know, we can multitask. Um, so it's also equipping women to become those capital allocators. It's equipping women to say, you know what, I have the money here, or I have this fund, or there's this... Um, loan or financing tool that can be used or here's a network of women angel investors which you know FFI has just set up our pan-african angel network to enable women to learn how they can invest money and then also to be that 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 friends and family to be that circle to be that village for these first times well not not always first time but for these female founders that need money but also maybe need that um support to have some doors opened to run some ideas by to just maybe have their confidence built a bit so that's the ecosystem that we're creating um without you know wanting to sound like a, a, a tree hugger but it's it's creating a space that's that's caring and nurturing but also understands the value of investing in women because it's 70 to 80 percent of purchasing decisions are made by women if we continue to ignore that you know we well we can't continue to ignore that so tell me about the importance of having 
more women as fund managers and angel investors and just the role in general that angels can play in sort of developing the ecosystem for early stage entrepreneurs on the continent? What's the unique position that they're in to, to help to, to push the ecosystem forward? Less than 5% of angel investors in Africa are women. So that means 95, around 95% of angel investors are men. So then you can kind of understand why such a small amount of capital goes to women. Um, you know, you, you fund things that, that look like you, that you think might be useful to you, right? So, for example, the, the beauty industry is a multi-trillion dollar industry, right? But it's one that's largely overlooked by investors because women, women use beauty. So having a network of women who are investing in products and innovations that they will actually buy means that there's going to be more, um, how do you say that, like bankable, interesting products that, that women are actually going to buy, going to make profit. Um, and be successful, have a social impact, create jobs, etc., etc., etc. Empowering women to also invest is really important in creating personal wealth and, and legacy wealth for families. So, you know, as a woman, if if I do an investment for, for maybe three thousand dollars, I ten x my money. That that's me then building a legacy, right? And that's having an alternative form of investment that maybe isn't linked to a husband, a partner, a brother, a father. So creating um, financial independence for women as well. Funny enough, this podcast, the genesis for this podcast was actually started by two friends of mine who are women entrepreneurs in the beauty space lamenting how difficult it is to access funding to grow mm -hmm. and they're like well michelle why don't you start a podcast to talk about this and i was like oh, sure and then eventually here i am so no very much um identify with that part of it now for women as investors where where do they start what do you need to be an angel investor so for women who might be thinking, okay, I might have a few extra dollars laying around, where should they start? Um, just kind of walk, walk us through the process of that. Do they find a fund that's looking to, how, how do they do it? Either one of you can. can so for a woman. Go ahead, Aisha. So for so for a woman wanting to be an angel investor, um, they don't really need to have a lot of money. It could be anything from $500 to $10,000 plus. The best way for, for a woman wanting to become an angel investor is to find other angel investors. So to, enjoy, to join an angel investing network. So this angel investing network, so again, shameless plug, FFI angel investing network, angel investment network, um, you know, they do the legwork for you to find the deals that are potentially good deals. Um, so angel investing is 
disclaimer, what a, a risky form of investment, any investment, you can lose your money, right? So it's not, but you can also, with risk, there's also reward. So um, join, a, join a network where you will have deals shared to you and then you can look at them and you can decide if you want to invest in them. That would be my advice so as a first-time investor. Yeah. yeah, the other thing we do to support the women as well is we are linked to various angel networks across Africa. So you're also able to, as Aisha said, join an existing angel network. But a really interesting thing about working again with FFI is that we also partner with VCs that match some of our investment. So when it now comes to your technical knowledge, um, and the, taking the risk out of what you're doing, it's good to be linked to someone that's been doing it for a while and is a recognized angel investor when you're starting. Maybe after two, three deals or a few years, you can now start, you know, branch out by yourself, et cetera. But initially, I think join an established network and do it that way. We also have a program which offers you training while you invest so we train you but also invite you to if you like play for real you know train with some um capital alongside so you're learning as you're going going along the important thing to do really is to ensure that you work with an established angel network and you do your research and thank god for google you can always Google this, this, this type of information. Thanks for that, Tori. But is, is FFI a good place to start for people who might be thinking about it? It's a brilliant place to start because um, Aisha and I have over, I mean, 50 years between us working with entrepreneurs, working with investors. Um, we're very accountable. Um, we have uh, government support and endorsement as well. The South African government, Mauritian government, uh, Lagos state government. And um, it's, a, it's a brilliant place to start. And as I said, you go in as much as you want to go in. And if you just want to do pure training without any capital either, to just really understand the modalities of angel, uh, angel investing, we can do that for you as well. And if you're just interested in empowering women, you know, you like the idea that there's a place where someone is backing female-led businesses, mm -hmm. it's also a good opportunity for you to get involved. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about your track record in terms of deals that you've supported and some of the awesome entrepreneurs who've been in your pipeline and where they are now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've had a, a couple of deals. We don't want to obviously mention any names. Sure. There have been some, some very good deals that have um, worked very well for us. One of them is in the edutech space. Um, so we worked with that entrepreneur, taking her from just lack of confidence in approaching investors to going through her deck, to introducing her to a network of investors, and also to personally, if you like, incubate her. So supporting her and giving her access to the right special 
um, specialty in terms of accountants and lawyers that she could work with. We also uh, have done a deal, are looking at a deal with a sort of um, women-centric product, which is taking advantage of the market size in terms of babies in West Africa, how many babies are born every day. It's, it's actually phenomenal. So we're looking at backing that deal and we're, we're shopping that around and that looks very good to us. Um, there's also a health tech opportunity that we're looking at, which looks, looks very good. So we work on two sides. We work with the in investees. We work with the companies that are looking for funding, but we also work with the investors. So investors also approach us and say, they're looking for deals. What kind of pipeline do we have? So we, we kind of bridge the gap between, between the two. Aisha, I don't know if you want to add anything more from our existing network. I'm not trying to give away too much name and information, but to share. No, don't, don't put anything out there that you don't need to, to go public. <laughs> no, well, look, we're always looking at deals and we are sector agnostic. And I think that's one thing that, that that's something that, dis that differentiates us from a lot of okay. other um, investors or angels because we don't particularly say you must have a tech angle and that's a thing that we're seeing a lot of is that it's tech, 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 tech. and as Tori said you know the West African baby market is huge um, more babies are born in Nigeria than in the whole of Western Europe per day so where would you go to launch a baby product you know so um, we look at things that aren't aren't always um, that wouldn't necessarily always be like a first choice investment. Yeah. So we're open to looking at at all founders and all and all uh, sectors. I was going to ask about that because besides the baby example, the other examples that Tori had mentioned were in tech, and knowing that a lot of the foreign investment or and just in investment in general on the continent in startups oftentimes go to tech companies um, so there's a bit of a a bias there so it's nice to know that you're more sector agnostic and there are opportunities for other types of businesses to um, attract funding so that they can scale and grow because <laughs> it's not just tech, like there are other businesses that are still viable and still valuable. People need consumer products and other things that are not tech related. So what advice would you give to someone who's looking to get into entrepreneurship? Um, are there certain areas that they should be looking into more than others if they're trying to sort of run a scalable business? Because it seems as if the ones that have more scale potential in terms of what investors are looking for are those that incorporate some aspect of tech. Yeah. I could be Shall wrong, I, but yeah. yeah. I really want to talk about this tech side. So what, one of the things that we're doing is we're doing this thing called an enterprise studio. There are a lot of women that we know, Aisha and I know, that are established women they run quite successful businesses already, traditional businesses, um, have decent cash flows, have a decent track record, have this decent reputation, 
So they have good credit. They have, you know, they've run their business well, but they've hit a plateau, right? They've hit a plateau in terms of where they're going to go next. They're not getting that innovation idea from within their own organization because they're still for all intents and purposes an SME. They're not getting it from outside. They're not big enough to bring in a McKinsey or a big fancy BCG to come and do a whole re-strategy rework for them. They're not going to go on a roadshow of innovation conferences around the world. They don't have the time. But they have everything that it takes to scale and to be backable and bankable. So I don't want to give tech a hard rap. Like, for me, tech is just an enabler. And I think if you're in 2021 and you don't have a tech element in your business. Yeah, you're in trouble. I'm, I'm, I'm worried for you. Right. Okay. So I'm not saying. I'm and if 2020 that, didn't force it, you're you in trouble. Yeah. You're in trouble. So I don't want to be like, I mean, I, I'm a real tech advocate anyway. So any of the businesses I meet, I'm like, even if your tech is about your back office and it means that your operations is running well, I always ask every single businesswoman I meet, what is your tech value proposition? And don't look at it like, I've now got to do a Udemy course on UX. And I mean, think your biggest dream, think your biggest impact, and think about a process that will make it virtual, seamless, easy. That's all that tech is. It's an enabler. So whether you call yourself a tech business or not, you have to get tech, not just because the foreign investors want it or they don't. I think if you don't get it, you're just missing out on the exponential opportunity for your business. If you let, let's take Aisha and our business, for example, what we started, we grew during COVID because when COVID hit, we just automatically went virtual. A big part of our business proposition was around events, exhibitions, scale. We have massive uh, event partner in Nigeria. We were ready to go. We signed off. It was brilliant. As soon as COVID hit, we just had to switch. Now we've realized that going virtual is actually giving us an exponential opportunity. Because you can reach can, more people that you, you wouldn't have been people. able to reach in person. Yeah, In person. So I'm going to say whatever you're doing, even if it's not a tech business, you need to have a technology value proposition. Even if it means it's better operations, it's better customer service, if you don't get it and you're in 2021, you've missed the boat, honestly. Sounds good. So ladies, we're about to wrap up. Thank you so much for your time. But before we do, Tori, what's your top five advice for entrepreneurs? Ooh. And Aisha, your top five for investors, for um, investing in women, SMEs on the continent. So, Tori, why don't you give me your top five? So my top five is, not to be corny, is to be fearless and to really dream your biggest dream. This is the time. Um, the investors that want to back you, the consumers and customers that want to take part of your product and service, everybody wants you to win. So be fearless and, and don't hold back and dream your biggest dream and translate that into a workable plan. 
Second, we just talked about tech. Have a tech value proposition or a tech idea or understand what tech can do for you as an enabler. Even if you're not a tech company, get the fourth industrial revolution. What does it mean? AI, machine learning, virtual. These things are game changers. You don't want to be left behind. Third, you're only able to grow as quickly as the people and the talent around you. The people and the talent. How do you ensure that you have the right people within your team, that you attract the right talent? What strategies are you going to put in place around that? Because really, again, you can just grow as big as the people and your team will allow you to grow. The fourth one is really understanding the power of capital and leverage and debt and what that can do for your business. As Aisha can say, stop trying to mend and be resourceful and cope and manage and mend. Do things properly. If it's going to cost a million dollars for this thing to really work, make sure you have a business plan for a million dollars and only do it when you have a million dollars. Find bootstrap and all of that. But that's not the nature of the game. That's not going to win it for you. What's going to win it for you is being smart enough to get the right debt, capital, whatever it is, to allow your business to be run properly and to grow properly. And I think the fifth advice I want to give entrepreneurs, having spoken to a lot of women entrepreneurs lately, is you have to believe in your own wisdom and your own instincts. There are a lot of experts, there's FFI, there's lawyers. Everybody's telling you how things should be and what to be done. And don't be intimidated or overwhelmed by technical information or shiny, bright PR. Really, really believe in your own self and what your product or your value proposition is and try and have the courage to stick to it. I think that that's very important. So those are my top five, five tips for entrepreneurs. Thank you so much, Tori. Those are some great okay. tips. Over to you, Aisha. Okay, I'm gonna copy Tori's first, um, first top tip um, for angel investors. If you're gonna, just be fearless, just do it, right? Um, just take that chance and try it. You never know what can happen. Yes, you might lose money, but you could also make money. Well, the worst that could happen is you've invested in a woman to help her finance her and something that she thought would work. So you are going on that journey with the woman. So really be fearless and really invest yourself in the opportunity. Um, my second tip is, is to actually see the opportunity. So this is for all, in, all investors. This goes for institutional investors, DFIs, financial institutions, governments, central bank. See the opportunity that women are. We are 50% of the world's population. In fact, I think it's 51%. You cannot ignore us. You cannot ignore our spending power. And you cannot ignore the impact that we have on society and the planet. So please see us. And when you see us, invest in us. Um, also, 
surround yourself with my third tip um surround yourself with the right people again all investors make sure you have women on your investment committees make sure you have your women at c-suite make sure you have women on your policy making boards research um and as women surround yourself with the right people join an angel network join an investment networking club you know um fill your head with the right knowledge and the right people um my fourth tip is um go out and look we often hear from investors oh the women aren't coming the banks the women aren't coming go and look for them they're there hiding in plain sight exactly go and look for them yeah um again engage people like ffi engage you know women's networks that are working with entrepreneurs that know who these women are do not work in silo um you know leverage the ecosystem around you so governments dfis financial institutions again work with us we are here to to help you and and ultimately wait make the world a better place um and lastly I, I i just want to my fifth one is um i just want to go back again see us hear us and fund us i like that i know that's a repeat yes. i said um no one. but it's okay to for hear one us, to fund us it's 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 so nice you have to do it twice see us fund us hear us i like that exactly thank you ladies yeah. so much for joining me on this episode and I'd like to thank our audience for listening. We would love to hear your feedback on the show and how we could improve. So please complete the short survey in the show notes. So check those out. If you would like to be a guest or sponsor the podcast, please contact us at where's the funding at gmail.com. Please subscribe, stream, rate, download, review all of those wonderful things. And we're available on all major podcast platforms. Follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at Agazella, Learn Launch Scale, and follow me on LinkedIn and join us for the next episode. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle.